Thanks for downloading Scott Harold's podcast. If you use a smart speaker, you can always ask Alexa to enable the SOS radio skill. You know, in the Bible, the book of Hebrews explains faith is a confidence in what we hope for and an assurance of what we don't yet see. And when we're going through the struggles of everyday life, we don't really see God move in the miraculous ways like we want him to. We're actually talking with Dr. Michael Brown today at SOS Radio. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. You know, it's so interesting, Dr. Brown, when we're trying to reconcile our faith and we're going through the rough stuff like we've all faced this last year, maybe you feel like God's failed you or God hasn't listened to you or God forgot about you. What do you think it is that makes most people feel like God's really failed them? Yeah, it can be a number of things. One is just experience, that you prayed and your prayers weren't answered, or you went through a hard time and it felt like God wasn't with you during the hard time. Even if your prayers weren't answered, you at least expected some type of comfort or presence or sign. and You didn't get that. So it can be bad experience. Or it can be struggles with the Bible. People raise objections to the Bible, or you're reading the Bible, and you see things that disturb you or trouble you, you don't have answers for. And then another thing is more philosophical, just there's so much suffering and pain in the world. How could God be good? There'd be so many people hurting. So it could be any of those three, but so commonly it's bad experience. And look, if I tell you, well, just have faith, if you're not even sure God is real, you don't want to just psych yourself up and convince yourself to believe in something that's not really there. We're talking about finding faith when we don't even know if God's real. And we're talking with Dr. Michael Brown today at SWIS Radio. Michael, it's interesting, you know, you have a PhD from New York University. I mean, you're the president of the Fire School of Ministry in North Carolina. And, you know, a few minutes ago we were talking about like, okay, you know, a lot of people will struggle with, okay, is God even real? And for you, what was your story when you're thinking, okay, I care about academics. I love science. I love math. I'm interested in the philosophy philosophical as well, but what was it for you that led you to the spot to say, you know what, I really have a thirst to know God, and I believe He's real because? Yeah, so in my case, it went in a a bit of a different order. Uh, Raised in a Jewish home, I was not that religious, so when I got into my teen years, I got caught up in the whole scene of the 60s, drugs and rock and roll music. I became a heavy drug user from the ages of 14 to 16, was playing drums in a rock band and thoroughly enjoying my decadent way of life. And then my two best friends became born-again Christians. I was like, what in the world is this? And I, I was very hostile to their faith. I, I believed in God in a general way. I, I didn't believe in Jesus at all, but I had no interest in God, and certainly no interest in changing my life. So I went to this church to pull them out, and as the people began to pray for me, the whole, and I didn't know they were praying for me. I mean, secretly they were praying the Holy Spirit began to make me miserably uncomfortable. The things I was boasting about one day, I now felt ashamed about the next day. And I ended up getting wonderfully born again myself before the end of 1971. I mean, instantly set free from drugs, encountering God in an extraordinary, beautiful, wonderful, joy-filled way. And then my dad said, Michael, I'm glad you're off drugs, but we're Jews. We don't believe this. So he brought me to meet the local rabbi, The local rabbi in turn befriended me and began to challenge me, and other rabbis began to challenge me, basically saying, look, we've been studying this our whole lives. You can't even read Hebrew. Who are you to tell us what to believe? So for me, the intellectual pursuit came after encountering God. But all of my degrees, my bachelor's, master's, Ph.D., 
were all at secular universities. The rabbis I met with endlessly over the years, they all differed passionately with what I believe. So my beliefs got challenged from every level, but I was determined if my experience with God was real, then if I followed the truth, the truth would not contradict my experience. And I had to be willing to follow the truth wherever it led. And the more I studied, the more I interacted with rabbis, the more my mind and heart were in complete agreement, the more I found we are on the side of truth. You know, it's really interesting. I was talking to a friend the other day and he was like, you know what? I'm down with God, but I believe more in science. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, you know, science proves this, 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 and it's hard to prove anything about God. And I'm like, yeah, you know, (laughs) you get into those deep questions with your friends and, you know, you've studied at NYU. I mean, you have PhDs and master's degrees. Michael, what have you noticed about like reconciling what the scientific method is with faith in this world that we live in, where everyone wants, wants to th- explain things by evidence. Yeah, and I deal with the question in my book, what if there is no God? What are the implications of that? Let's be frank. Science cannot tell you if something is beautiful or not. Science cannot determine love. You know, this is true love, this is not true love, just based on science. It's not the domain of science. So the idea that science is somehow going to prove the existence of God is is really misunderstanding the role of science. But here's what science can do. Science can say that we have evidence that makes it very, very clear that there had to be some origin to the universe. Science can say it's clear that we have no explanation for the origin of life. Science can say the more we look at the human being, the DNA, the cell, the clearer it is that we were intelligently designed. Science can do that. And science, and and I've talked to learned scientists, highly educated in those fields, because my fields are biblical studies and ancient languages and things like that. But I've talked to highly educated, well-respected scientific thinkers, and they're confident that the more science learns, the clearer it will be that we have been intelligently designed. Look, you and I are having a conversation now, and if someone goes back and listens to the transcript of that conversation, they'll realize there was intelligence behind it. We weren't just speaking random words and syllables. A scientific friend of mine said, look, pick up an iPhone and get into the technology behind it, and there's no doubt that it requires tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of man hours of programming and thinking through and designing and and all of that. And yet a worm is more complex in design than an iPhone. And a worm is one of the most fundamentally simple creatures on the planet. So when you get from there to the universe, from there to the human being, science is shouting to us that there is intelligence behind this. And look, go the other way. If there is no God, and we are simply the random end products of a freak, evolutionary, unguided process, there is no meaning to life. There is no purpose. There is no sense of destiny. There is not even such a thing as injustice or such a thing as evil, because there is no morality. And and many philosophers argue that if there is no God, these are atheists, that there is no such thing as free will that we are just doing what our biology predetermined us to do. That's a consistent atheistic worldview. If in your heart of hearts you know 
there's purpose. You have a sense of destiny. There's a longing to bring about positive change. That's not the result of evolution. That's the result of being created in the image of God. We're talking about finding faith when you're not even sure God's real. We're talking with Dr. Michael Brown today at SWS Radio. You wrote a book called Has God Failed You? And it's interesting because I think we've all been in that situation where we feel like, hey, I'm praying, I'm asking, I'm trying to learn, I'm seeking truth. And then you feel like, you just feel like God doesn't answer those prayers or God doesn't show up for you and he shows up for other people. What have you learned about the flawed nature of those questions? <laughs> right. Well, the first thing is, it's okay to ask them. It's okay to have questions. In my book, Has God Failed You? I even have a chapter called Permission to Doubt. In the book of Jude, the 22nd verse, Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. There's a doubt that's the result of unbelief and a hard heart. In other words, I should trust God. I should believe Him by now but I choose not to, and that's why I'm filled with doubt. But for many others, doubt is because of faith. In other words, I want to believe God. I'm praying to this God. If I didn't believe in Him, I wouldn't be praying to Him, and yet I'm not seeing things happen the way I expect. So doubt in itself is not a sinful thing, and it's okay to ask these questions. So sometimes people are afraid to ask or afraid to wonder, and we have an environment in our churches where, don't, don't say that, don't ask that. That's unhealthy. It's fine to ask the questions. But second, when you say, what's flawed in them? Well, often we think of God as just some kind of heavenly bellboy, and we just push a button, and there he is to help us out. Lord, my knee hurts today. Lord, I'm, I'm a little tired. <laughs> Lord, I don't really want to work. Lord, I, would you make this person be nice to me? And we just think we can press a button and kind of coast through life without ever having a problem. Well, not only is that unbiblical, not only is it unrealistic, it's unhelpful. We will end up being human wretches if that's our condition, selfish, self-centered, and lazy. And if we look at prayer differently, that prayer is not only asking God for help, which he does bring. And if you'll journal your prayers over a period of many, many years, you will see distinct and definite answers. And you need to thank God for those and remember them. But prayer is also building a relationship with God. Prayer is deepening a relationship with God. And often, as you pray for something over a period of months or years, even when you don't see the answer you were expecting, as a result of your time with God, you end up closer to Him, you end up growing in many, many other areas, and you end up seeing answers to prayer in unexpected ways. Sometimes it's the way we're looking at things that is the problem. We're talking about prayer essentially is a relationship with God. And a lot of times when we pray, we talk and we talk and we talk. and We don't take the time to listen. We're talking with Dr. Michael Brown today at SWS Radio. A lot of times when we're praying and we don't feel like we get an answer and we feel like God's failed us, we forget that we just keep talking and we don't take time to actually listen for God to respond. Yeah, and prayer is communion. God can respond through his written word. God can respond through that inner voice. God can respond through other people speaking truth to us. But we need to think of prayer as relational. Not just, Lord, I'm asking this, Lord, I'm asking this, Lord, I'm asking this. Okay, I'm done, I'm out of here, bye. But do you ever just share your heart with God? Do you ever say, God, I'm, I'm really struggling today. I'm talking to you, but as I'm talking to you, my mind has a million questions. I feel distracted. I feel dull. I feel spiritual and connected. 
if you're a pastor or a leader and people are looking to you and expecting you to, to be anointed and powerful, do you go to God with complete honesty and do you share your heart with him? You know, I've found something remarkable. Sometimes I can be terribly burdened with the weight of life and ministry, and it just feels too much to carry. So I'll get along with the Lord. I'll get on my knees, and I'll start to pour my heart out. Sometimes as I'm praying, I'll write out my list of everything that's on my mind, on my heart. And maybe it takes an hour, and I unburden myself. And when I'm done, I haven't received an answer yet to any of the things I'm praying about. I haven't received any wisdom in terms of decisions I need to make, but all the stress is gone. All the pressure is gone. I know that everything has been put in God's hands, and at the right moment, I'll have the wisdom to make the right decision. At the right moment, the grace will be there to deliver what I'm supposed to deliver. At the right moment, the answer will come. It's a remarkable thing. When you've been in the Lord as long as I have, almost 50 years now, you understand this is not just some mental game. This is not just some psychological trick. This is genuine communion with God. I have seen his faithfulness. And I encourage everyone listening, if you've seen his faithfulness in a distinct and definite and undeniable way in your life, something that when it happened, you knew that you knew was God. There was no other explanation for it. Hold on to those things. Memorialize them. Go back to them and remind them. Because that mountaintop experience won't feel like it's there when you're in the valley. But if you can remind yourself of the faithfulness of God when you're in the valley, soon enough you'll see that God is with you. Even as it says in Psalm 23, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. We're going deep this morning on SOS Radio. We're talking with Dr. Michael Brown. and You know, when we get to those questions like, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? You talk a lot about that in a couple of your books. And in your research, Dr. Brown, when you look through the scriptures, you've talked about how you found that question basically to be flawed. Like, how do we even start to unpack the reality of that question? The first thing is, the question is, what do we each deserve as human beings? You know your heart. I know my heart. What if the whole world could see what we were thinking the last week? Would we want everyone to see it? Would we be embarrassed by things? In in other words, we don't necessarily deserve as much good as we think that we do. And the better that we understand who we are and who God is, we realize that 24-7 we live by grace, that every human being on the planet is alive because of grace, and no one is here because of merit. But then if you dig deeper, and this is the second thing, and I have a whole chapter in Has God Failed You on the book of Job. You look at Job, that God says about him, there's nobody like him on the earth. He's a righteous, God-free man. He turns away from evil. He was the number one guy on the planet that God pointed to, and yet God allowed Satan to take everything from him, to kill his children, to destroy his health, You say, why? Why would God allow that to happen? Well, it was to show us that sometimes inexplicable things do happen to godly people. In other words, Job did not deserve those things to happen. They were satanic attacks. And it's also not in God's nature to just go along and smite and destroy and kill the people that he loves. That's not who he is. That's the work of Satan. And yet Job went through that, in a sense, on our behalf, And Job, in the end, remarkably comes out closer to God 
and more blessed than he was in the first place. So it's God telling us, yes, these things may happen. No, you won't understand the reasons for them as they're happening. But if you will put your trust in God, no matter what you see or feel or experience, he will take you through, he will make you better for it, and in the end, either in this world or the world to come, he'll richly reward you for trusting him in the midst of the pain. And one other thing from the book of Job, it's okay to get upset. It's okay to tell God you're hurting and even that you're angry with him. It's in the Bible. He understands. But then he wants you to learn to trust him with humility because he is good. He will never do us harm all the days of our life. Healing is one of the hardest things to comprehend, especially as a person of faith. I'm Scott Harold on SWIS Radio. We're talking with Dr. Michael Brown. He's actually the president of the Fire School of Ministry in North Carolina. He's a best-selling author. You can find out more from him at askdrbrown.org. But let's talk about a right understanding of what healing is. Because I think a lot of times there's like the extreme natures of, okay, I'm going to pray and I expect and I have faith and God's going to heal me and that's my expectation. And I should never get sick if I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. That's one side of this pendulum. And then the other side is more like God doesn't heal like he used to heal in the Old Testament of the Bible. And we take those things because our experience sometimes is maybe God didn't heal in the way that I asked him to. What essentially is the posture that we need to start with when we want to understand a godly perspective of what healing actually is in reality? Yeah, I had so many questions on the subject of healing that I actually wrote my doctoral dissertation on the Hebrew word for healing because I I had to study intensively what the Scriptures said, Old Testament and New Testament, and understand what God promised or didn't. So I emphatically believe that God still heals today, that He does work miracles to this day, that people have cried out to Him in hopeless situations, or chronically difficult situations, and he's healed them, and therefore I would encourage people to continue to pray for healing. At the same time, I recognize that in this world, everyone dies, that in this world, we don't receive everything we ask, that in this world, there's often hardship and pain and unexplained things, which means we live with certain tension. You see, there's some people who just say, you just have it, you just confess it, and if it doesn't happen, it's just because you don't believe enough. That puts people in all kinds of bondage, and many people leave the faith over that. They say, I did pray, I did believe, I did cry out, my child still died, therefore I question this whole thing, and they walk away from God. I I address those very people in my book, Has God Failed You? Then there are others that say, no, it's not for today. God doesn't heal at all, and we make a mistake in asking for miracles. So why even set yourself up for disappointment? Don't bother praying because nothing's going to happen in terms of a a healing miracle. The truth is somewhere in between those two extremes. God still does heal. There still are miracles. But in this world, we often do not see everything that we desire. The kingdom of God is here in part, meaning that the kingdom of God has broken into our midst with salvation and healing and deliverance. And yet... We still struggle with sin, and yet we're still in a fallen world, and yet we will all die. So we are ultimately praying for Jesus to return and fully establish his perfect kingdom on the earth. But right now, we live with holy tension. That's the reality. I don't give cheap answers in my book. 
I tell the truth based on Scripture. And we appreciate that for sure. We're talking with Dr. Michael Brown today at SWS Radio. His latest book's called Has God Failed You? It's finding faith when you're not even sure that God's real. Hey, thanks for taking some time with us today, Dr. Brown. My joy, and I really pray that readers of the book will find their faith renewed and encounter God in a way they never have before. Thanks for downloading Scott Harold's podcast. These discussions come from his radio show on SOSradio.net. It's a Christian radio station you can plug in with for music or conversation. Thanks for supporting the podcast.